Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for allowing us to know you and to walk closely with you. We thank you for your word and ask that you would open it to us today and open us to receive your word. I ask that you would use me as you wish and that people would see Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Joseph was one of the 12 brothers of his father, Jacob, and he was Jacob's favorite. And Jacob told this to all of his sons. So his brothers hated him. His brothers hated him so much they wanted to kill him. And one day they got the opportunity. They threw Joseph into a pit and thought about how they could kill him. But in an act of mercy, instead of killing him, they sold him off as a slave to Egypt. Now even in Egypt, in his master's house, he was shown so much favor that he became in charge of the household. But his master's wife seduced him, and when he refused, he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. This was the lowest point in Joseph's life. His family had completely rejected him, and even in his new home, he was accused and thrown into prison, cast down yet again. But we're told that God did not reject Joseph. In fact, God was showing him favor even in prison. And Joseph did not reject God. He continued to look to him in all his circumstances. So, even in prison, he was raised into authority over the entire prison cell. And in a few years, he had been pulled out of prison, and through a series of dreams and circumstances, he was placed in charge of all of Egypt. And looking back on that time, Joseph recognized that God had been working in him, showing him the favor and the mercy and the grace that he needed, not just to save his own life, but to save the chosen people of God for his own purposes. In today's psalm, we are going to learn that we should always fix our eyes on the God who shows his people favor, just as Joseph did. Now, before we get in, feel. It's a unique thing about poetry is that it teaches us what our feelings should be, or it teaches how to bring our feelings under the command of Scripture. And so in this psalm, it's not a hard psalm to understand with our heads, but it's a hard psalm to understand with our hearts, because the feeling of the psalm is one of tension, one of trusting God patiently for what he's going to do, while at the same time not being able to bear under the weight of sorrow. And this psalmist is going to teach us how to hold the two in tension while being faithful to God. So let's jump in by looking at verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to you, the one enthroned in heaven, like a servant's eyes on his master's hand, like a servant girl's eyes on her mistress's hand, so our eyes are on Yahweh our God until he shows us favor. Right in the middle of the stanza, there is an image of servants looking to their master 
It's actually the same image, but one is male, one is female. A servant looking to his master, a servant girl looking to her mistress. So we must learn that the repetition shows us that it needs to be emphasized, that we should take notice of what this illustration is showing. So bear with me, or, or, or come with me, into the image of seeing a servant waiting on his master. So maybe the master is sitting at a dining room table, and he's serving his guests, and the servant is standing in the back waiting, watching the master's hand. He's not distracted with things in the room. He's not thinking about what he's going to do this evening. He is singularly focused on what his master's hand is doing because he knows that from his master's hand, he's going to receive something. Now, what's unique in this image is we don't know what the servant is waiting for. We don't know if the master is going to give him a gift, give him a slap, give him a sign. We don't know what the master is going to give him, and that's the point. Because we don't know, we need to look at the servant's posture. How is the servant relating to the master? He is relating to the master by patiently waiting, expecting something from the master. So in this image, we see a servant looking to his master's hand for something. And what we get from the image is how the posture of the servant is an expectation of what the master is going to give him. Now we go on, and it says, So our eyes are on Yahweh our God. So we see that the psalmist is saying, collectively, the people of God are the servant, and God is the master. You see that? And so, so the servants, us, the people of God, are looking to the master for favor. And now we know what they're waiting for. Now we know what they're looking for. They're looking for favor from God. So what is favor? In some circles, favor might be considered uh, extra blessings, monetary wealth, health to the end of your life. But what we see in the Bible and what we see in this verse is that favor is not money, but it's kindness. This could have been translated mercy or grace. So it could say until God shows us mercy or is gracious to us. You see, so the favor that is spoken about here in Scripture is not just a favor that, uh, that seems to bless us, but it is a kindness of God. So God, the one in authority, the one enthroned in heaven, stoops down to show kindness to his people. And what we can see in the psalm is that the psalmist, the author of the psalm, he is looking to God alone for favor. See, he could look to other gods, to other uh, idols and people that might promise some sort of favor. He could look to other nations, strong powers, or even his own nation, his own community. We're going to take back what's ours. But where is he looking? He is looking to the only God, the one true God in heaven. And he is waiting for him. God alone can show favor, and God alone is the one who will. Let me say that again. God alone can show favor, and he alone will. And so in this first part of the psalm, we see this, this eager expectation from the psalmist that what we are going to see from God is favor. But why do they need favor? Well, that's what the rest of the psalm addresses. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. 
Show us favor, Yahweh. Show us favor. For we've had more than enough contempt. We've had more than enough scorn from the arrogant and contempt from the proud. Do you see the repetition in these verses? These verses really only have like four phrases, and it's just repeated. Show us favor, show us favor. We've had more than enough. We've had more than enough. Contempt, contempt. Arrogant and proud. It's this repetition, and what we see in that, what we feel in that is uh, desperation. It's like he doesn't know what else to say. He's passionate for God to show favor, but he doesn't know what else to say to God. Show us favor. We've had more than enough contempt. That's it. Let's define a few words so we can make sure we know what the psalm is saying. The word contempt or scorn is kind of a weird word that we don't really use much in English. It means to be despised, to be looked down upon, kind of like I'm looking down on you, but not in that way, uh, to look down on someone in a way that they are worth less than you. And so it's important to also see who is showing contempt and who is showing scorn. It's the arrogant and the proud. What, is, what does it mean to be arrogant and proud? It means to think that you are better than other people, that you are above the situation, almost like you're in the place of God, and you are looking down on others. And so when someone treats someone else with contempt, They are in the position of pride and arrogance. And they are looking down on someone, treating them poorly because of who they think they are and what they think they're worth. So in this psalm, the psalmist is saying, we have had more than enough contempt from the proud. So the proud around them have shown them contempt so much that it's like you're filling a glass with water and now it's overflowing. That's enough, that's enough. We've had more than enough. We're good, we're good. That's the, the, the feeling here, right? There's more than enough contempt from the proud. Now I know in my heart and probably in yours, you want to know what's happening here. What is happening in the life of Israel that is causing the psalmist to say they've had more than enough contempt? I don't know. And it's unclear. And I think it's purposely so, but we can take a few guesses. We know that in Israel's history, they had plenty of contempt. They were treated poorly, looked down upon by many people. All the enemies around them would constantly come in and attack and battle them, put them under slavery and subjection, and they would force them into labor and to pay them money. We also know that in Israel, they had bad leaders, They had leaders who would take advantage of their people. Both the kings and the priests would be evil and take advantage of their people. And we know that at one point in their history, it got so bad that they were taken into exile. They were removed from their homeland and brought into a foreign country where they were mocked and treated poorly. Or other words, contempt. Now, we don't know which of these circumstances the psalmist is talking about. But what we do know is that it's vague enough and that this would have been sung throughout history, even to today, 
And so what it does is help you reflect back on previous contempts, right? So if this is um, a bad king, they can sing, Lord, we've had more than enough contempt from this arrogant king, while also thinking about the previous king that was bad, the previous nation that oppressed them. If this is during exile, they can say during exile, they've had more than enough contempt from this moment and also in the past. You see, and so even today, you can read this psalm and be thinking about a specific situation in your life where someone is treating you poorly, where someone is bringing you down and say, Lord, I've had more than enough contempt and I'm identifying with your people throughout history. Now, the psalmist here ends the psalm in a weird way. He just ends it. There's no resolution to his problem. Most psalms that are like this start with verses 3 and 4. They start with the desperation. Our lives are horrible, God. And they end with verses 1 and 2. They end with, but we look to you. But we trust you. In this psalm, he's flipped the order. Where he says, I trust you, God. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to look to you. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. Because you are the God who shows favor. And at the same time, we've had more than enough contempt. We, we don't know what else to do. And, and he's, he's wanting us to sit in that tension. Do you feel the tension? Have you felt that in your own life? Where it feels like life and, and things just keep hitting you time and time again. And it feels like, God, what else can I do? But we're called to wait in that tension. Now, the psalmist is doing something else with the psalm. He is recalling to mind the promises of God. Let me show you what I mean. In Genesis, God is making a promise to Abraham, who will soon become Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. So the psalmist here is recalling back the first promise that God made to his ancestor, saying, God, we've been treated with contempt. You said you would curse those who treated us with contempt. And not just that, but we've had more than enough contempt. And so it's almost like a plea, recalling the promise of God, trusting in his promises, and saying, Lord, do you see? Do you see the contempt that we have had? And will you answer? And let's take note. He says earlier in, in, in the psalm, it's like a servant. So he's not coming to God demanding, you must do this. Sometimes we want to come to God and demand that he does such and such. The psalmist is not doing that. He is coming with a posture of humility as a servant to his master and laying out before him, Lord, we've had more than enough. But he doesn't stop there because if you notice, he's not asking God to curse anyone in the psalm. What is he asking for? He's asking for favor. Show us favor. Be gracious to us. Show mercy to us. And this is also a promise from God. In Exodus 
chapter 33, Moses and God are going back and forth, and Moses is pleading with God to show him his glory. Moses wants to see the glory of God. And finally, in verse 19, God says to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now that phrase, be gracious, is the phrase, show favor. It's the same phrase. So it could be said, I will show favor to whom I will show favor. And so this psalmist is recalling not just the promise to Abraham that if they are treated with contempt, there will be a response, but also that God is in the position to show favor. And here's the thing. If we don't know who God is, we will not understand the psalm or all of Scripture for that matter. You see, God is a compassionate and gracious God. When he finally reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, we see in verse 6, Yahweh passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. You see, brothers and sisters, God wants to show you mercy because that's who he is. He is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. It's part of his character. And so the psalm is not demanding for God to show him favor as though he has to earn it from God. But rather, he is calling to light the nature and character of who God is. And he's calling it to bear. And saying, Lord, you are the God who shows favor. You are the God who responds to contempt. Here we are. And we're waiting. And we will wait for you because we trust you. So when God gives promises to his people, he wants them to remember the promise and trust the promise maker. Now in reading the psalm, we cannot help but think of Jesus. In fact, we must think of Jesus. You see, when Jesus was living on this earth, he prophesied, referencing other prophecies in the Bible, that he would be treated with contempt. And that was fulfilled in his death. In Luke 23, we see three times that the scriptures actually say Jesus was treated with contempt. In verse 11, Herod and the Roman soldiers mock him. They dress him with bright clothing as though saying, he thinks he's a king. And they're laughing at him, mocking him, treating him with contempt. Once Jesus is hanging on the cross, even the religious rulers, the ones who claim to know and love the scriptures, look at Jesus and laugh at him and say, he said he was the chosen one, let him save himself. They're teasing him. They're mocking him. They are filled with pride and looking down on the Son of God. And even while he's hanging on the cross, as if it wasn't enough for those in political authority and those in religious authority to look down on Jesus, a criminal who is hanging on his side insults him. And the criminal saying, if you're God, save yourself and save me too. With insults, 
from all sides, Jesus hung on the cross and died. Now, Jesus asked for favor from God. In the garden before his crucifixion, he prayed to the Lord, if it is your will, let this, this cup, this cup of God's wrath, let the cup pass from me. Jesus prayed for favor. Show me favor. Show me mercy. Have mercy on me. And he was met with silence. He prayed for favor and was met with silence. Why? Brothers and sisters, it was for me and it was for you. You see, in Jesus' death, we have access to the favor of God. We are all sinners. All we know is sin, and we sin against a holy God. And because of that, our access to him had been cut off. So Jesus came, and he died so that we would be forgiven of our sins. And in that forgiveness, we are now reconciled, are made friends with God, and more than friends, we are adopted in as children. What more favor could you ask for than to be adopted as a child of the one true God? And Jesus didn't stay dead. He was buried and he rose from the dead so we could have life in him. And he ascended to heaven where he now is enthroned in heaven. And he's coming back one day. And this is important. Jesus is coming back one day and he's going to do two things when he comes back. He is going to judge the world and he is going to restore all things. So all the contempt, all the hatred, and the despising that has been shown to the people of God through all of history will be judged. The sins of the world will be judged by a holy and a just God. And that should give you peace if you have been wronged. But not just that. Those who are found in Christ those who believe in his name for salvation will be given an eternal new life that has already begun now, but will be fulfilled at the end times. And he is going to restore all things. As Pastor Anwar said next week, we'll have a new Jerusalem, a new city of God. Brothers and sisters, God wants to show you favor. And he does that in Jesus. If you have trusted in Christ, Take hold of the favor of God. Take hold of Christ and fix your eyes on him in all your sorrows. And if you have not trusted in Christ, repent of your sins and believe in him because he is there for you. Fixing your eyes on God by nature means that your eyes are not on the contempt you've been shown or on the arrogance who are showing you contempt. Let me explain. When someone shows you contempt, when they look down on you, when they treat you poorly, it's like they've put you in a pit, just like Joseph. And when you're in the pit, you have a few options of where you're going to fix your eyes. 
You can be looking at your surroundings. Grief. You can look at the ones who threw you in the pit and feel anger and bitterness and resentment at them. Or you can look to the one enthroned in heaven. You can look to the only God who will show you favor and who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Those are your options. And so when you fix your eyes on the God who shows favor, by nature you are not looking at your circumstances and you are not looking at those who have abused you. You are looking to God. So what are some circumstances where you might feel contempt? It's, again, it's a strange word. We don't think about it all the time. And I don't know all of your stories. And even the stories I do know, I don't know the half of it. But here are a few ideas of ways that maybe you have been shown contempt and what it means to fix your eyes on Jesus in those moments. Maybe in your workplace, your boss or your supervisor is not very kind to you. Maybe they force you to work more hours than you need to work. Or they treat you poorly. They don't, they don't compliment you when you do something good. They only yell at you when you do the smallest thing wrong. Or maybe your coworkers treat you with contempt. They're biting at your back and, and trying to, to find a way to get above you at work. Or maybe the employees, that, that, the customers that come into your business treat you poorly. And all these things, God knows... And he calls us, even in those moments, to work for his glory, not for the glory of man. Maybe in this room you're single. Now, singles, very unfortunately, are treated like half people in this world. As though you aren't enough as a single person. And that is wrong. God has made you whole regardless of your desire to be married or not, and regardless of your status. And so all the people with well-meaning phrases, nifrah minnak, thank you. We know that those phrases, as well-intentioned as they are, and as ill-intentioned as they are, can be taken to the Lord, knowing that he will not leave you alone, and that he is with you always. Maybe you've been hurt by your family. Sometimes family, a lot of times, family will say things to you that hurt you. Sometimes, unfortunately, family will do things intentionally to hurt you. And that's not okay. Do not hear me saying that this is an excuse for you to be abused or for you to just take it but what this psalm is showing us is that in those moments, we have a God who loves us. And we have a God who is ready and eager to show us his love. As Christians, we are promised that we will be persecuted for our faith. That we will be hated and despised, treated with contempt for our faith. Some of you in this room have already been persecuted because you love Jesus. Some of you in this room, you might be one day. And what we need to know from this psalm and the rest of Scripture 
is that persecution should not make us waver from our faith, but rather our eyes should be fixed on the one who gives us faith and the one who shows us favor in the midst of all contempt. In all these scenarios, big and small, we can fix our eyes on God. In Jesus, we have that option. And here's the thing with Jesus. Just like the psalmist had promises, Jesus gives us promises. He promises us his peace. In John 14, he says that I will give you peace, not as the world gives. And in Philippians, Paul explains that for us. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. I don't know what that peace is like. I can't explain it. But I know what it feels like when I pray to God and I take my sorrows to him and he gives me peace. Jesus also promises us his presence, that he will be with us. He says, I am with you to the end of the age. And we know he is with us because if you've believed in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And he goes with you. So you are never alone. So in these circumstances, You can rely, just like the psalmist, you can remember the promises of God and trust the promise maker and know that he will give you his peace and he has given you his presence. As a church, we are called to care for one another in our sorrows. So if we treat with each other with contempt, if we look down on someone, speak harshly to someone, hopefully it's not intentional, but regardless of the intent, we should go to the other person and ask forgiveness. If we have been treated with contempt, we should forgive the one who treats us such. And if we know a brother or a sister is struggling, we should share their burdens and point them to Jesus. If you're in this room and you don't follow Jesus, maybe you're unable to understand how God could let something so horrible happen to you. Or maybe you're wondering if God could even accept you in your current state. Well, take heart in the gospel. God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you so that you could be in relationship with him. So take the contempt you feel, bring it before the Father, and in the name of Jesus, find the peace and presence he promises to all who follow him. In conclusion, this psalm teaches us what we are to do when we are overcome with contempt. When we are looked down upon to the maximum, we are to fix our eyes on the God who shows favor to his people. And in Jesus, we know that the ultimate favor is eternal life and that Jesus took the contempt on himself so that we would have favor with God. So now, when others look down on us, we look up to God. He will give us peace and presence in Jesus And I'm going to tell you that doesn't mean the circumstance will change. Sometimes we need to live in that tension. But we can trust that God is faithful 
and the tension of the emotions to show us the favor we need. So we look to him and we wait. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we trust you. We thank you for Jesus and what he has done in saving us. We long for you, Lord, to show us favor. Show us favor in Christ and show us favor in our circumstances. We trust you, Lord, in all our circumstances. You know the hearts of those in this room. We ask that you would use your word to transform each and every one of our hearts today. And you pray in boldness before the throne of grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.